Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I want to welcome you today, whether you're here in Auditorium 1 or maybe you're sitting in Auditorium 2 or you're joining us online or by way of television or a podcast. So glad that you are here. A couple of weeks ago, we started a series called Family Tree where we are looking at the, the lineage, the history, the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And this just, it kind of fascinates me to think about this a little bit. I think I'm kind of curious and have been looking into over the last few years, my own family tree. We have a picture that hangs on the wall in our home of the Gilligan family. Good looking group, aren't they? I expected something a little stronger. Good looking group, aren't they? Thank you, it's hereditary. And... Uh, so this, this is probably taken in the 1920s, I'm gonna guess. And uh, th- these are the Gilligans. They lived in the mountains of Pennsylvania. This is my grandfather, Robert Benjamin Gilligan. And uh, these are his parents, Edward and Tilly Gilligan. Those are strong names, aren't they? And uh, just kind of a, a, a fun story. And uh, at some point, I don't, I don't know exactly when or why, But my grandpa decided to leave the mountains of Pennsylvania and to move to Warren, Ohio. When he made that choice and that decision, it set in motion a whole lot of things that have affected generations ever since, including mine. And so kind of an interesting thing, you might have a story like this, you might have people that you look at, either for good or bad, in the life of your family, and go, they were the patriarch, they they were the matriarch, they were the one who their decision, their choices set in motion things that affected generations, that affected you. I think we've all got a story like that, and so did Jesus. Now next week we'll look in more detail about why Matthew starts his gospel with this list that really, there's no niceties, there's no introduction, he just goes right into this. Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We'll look through this at the fact that in three different groups of 14 each, he's gonna work through the generations, one defined by Abraham, one defined by David, and one defined by the exile of of the Jewish people. And we'll look at all of this. Just a side note, there's 14 different, or 42 different names here. We are not going to take 42 weeks to get through this part. Can I get an amen? All right, okay, just, just so you know, just so you know. But today we're gonna look at the patriarch, the granddaddy of them all, Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. If you're not familiar with Abraham, his story is told in Genesis chapter 12. I'll give it to you in a snapshot. God goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to go to a place where I will show you. I'm not gonna tell you now, but you start going and then I'll direct you. You'll know when you get there, I'll tell you. And then your children are then gonna bless the whole earth and I'm gonna bless the world through you. That, that's the promise that Abraham had from God, that he would be blessed to be a blessing. And we know this story, it's in the book of Genesis, but, but James summarizes it in his epistle at the New Testament. So just in a couple of verses, we'll look at what God says about Abraham in the book of James. James chapter two, we read this about Abraham. It tells us that was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith 
and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now that's a cool passage of scripture in James chapter two. It tells us the story, and we'll look at this story a little bit more here in just a moment about Abraham, but the way that it ends, James chapter two, verse 23, ends with this powerful line that says this about Abraham, and he was called God's friend. Isn't that a cool thing to be called? That he was called God's friend. You could be called all kinds of things. We have this happen here from time to time where somebody will want to sell something to the church and so they'll call and make kind of a cold call, cold sales call. Does anybody ever have that happen to your cell phone? Right, so they'll do that and they know that if they want to get attention, they will somehow or another have to know who to ask for. So they'll search or whatever and every so often somebody will call and say, hey, can I speak to Chad? And they'll say, well, who is this? And they'll say their name and they'll say, oh, he's my friend. But the reality is, I've never even met the person. But they just are trying to weasel this in. You probably know some people who go, oh yeah, we're good friends, which means we waved at each other once. Do you know what I mean? And then there's people that are friends. Abraham wasn't just trying to leverage this against God. God hadn't just waved at Abraham once. When you see words like this that says, Abraham was called God's friend. That's powerful. And it caused me to ask, what does it mean to be a friend of God? Like if you look at Abraham's life, now look, ultimately the stories we're gonna look at over these next few weeks, they point us to Jesus. But I wanna look at Abraham's life today because I don't think Abraham was the only one who could be a friend of God. I believe that we can be God's friend, that we can live our lives in a way where we know that friendship with him. That was pointed out in this scripture. And so I wanna ask the question today, what does it mean, if we look at Abraham's life, what does it mean to be a friend of God? Three things that, that kind of show up in his life. The first one is this, that God's friends are flawed people. God's friends are flawed people. When, when we read the Bible and we get to somebody like Abraham, the, the granddaddy of them all, his life is at the center of the major world religions. Abraham is one of the key characters in this whole book, from the first book all the way through. You see his name over and over and over again. You might be tempted to think that that dude must have been perfect, <laughs> when in reality, Abraham was not perfect. He was not a perfect person. And we will look at scripture and we'll see his successes, but the Bible also shows us his flaws and his failures which is a good reminder. Look, the Bible does not hide the fact that God uses flawed people. When you look at scripture, it does not hide the fact that God actually uses flawed people. I mean, if I were writing the Bible, I think I would only tell the good stories. Let's just say this, if I was writing my biography, I'd only tell the good stories, anybody else? And yet we know about Noah's drunkenness, and we know about David's adultery, and we know that Joseph was arrogant. Like all those things roll in there. All those things are woven together into the story that God tells us about how he works and moves and redeems our lives. And it's a fascinating thing to realize that God uses flawed people. We don't necessarily like to talk about it. Remember the Gilligan family picture I just showed you? You remember because they were good looking, right? You remember? I didn't tell you the whole story. I didn't tell you about those that walked away from their faith. I didn't tell you the stories of mental illness in the family. 
I didn't tell you the stories of people that just did nasty things. I, I only showed you the, the good side because we like the good side. But I want you to know that yes, even the Gilligans are flawed. <laughs> All of us are flawed people. So why does the Bible tell these stories? Well, the Bible tells us these stories, not just, the, not just the, the hero segments, not just the good parts, for a couple of reasons. One, so that you know that God uses flawed people. Two, so that you realize that God came to save every single one of us. Jesus didn't come for perfect people. He came for people like you and me. That's good news, isn't it? And then the Bible also tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that you have these stories in the Old Testament so that they will be cautionary tales for you, so that you will see the places where other people stumbled, and hopefully as a result, it'll help you to learn how to live your lives in a, in a stronger, in a, in a better, in a, in a more effective way. So Abraham is one of those guys. So we could, we could point out several different things. There's a classic story about Abraham's lack of patience, but for the sake of time, I, I wanna hone in on one story in the life of Abraham a place where he had, we'll just call it this, he had a lack of integrity. That there was a place in Abraham's life, a flawed person, where he had a lack of integrity. So it's an interesting story. Abraham and Sarah, Abraham had a wife named Sarah. There's a point in scripture where they're referred to as Abram and Sarai, and then later their names are, are kind of changed. But there's this point where Abraham and Sarah face a famine, and so as a result, they have to kind of run for their lives to a different place. And we read this, Genesis chapter 12, verse 11. As Abraham was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Men, if you've never memorized any other Bible verse, let's work on that one. <laughs> Quote that one on the way home. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. He was afraid that they'd say, hey, see this foreigner, he has a beautiful wife. We'd like her to be a part of our community. Let's get rid of him. Say instead, he says, that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So Abraham comes up with a little plan to try to save his own life. And here's the reality. It actually wasn't a full lie. It was, it was kind of a half truth because they actually were related they were half brother, half sister kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? They, they shared a parent. And so they, can I just mention this? Don't do that today, all right? <laughs> so he wasn't telling a full lie. It was just a half truth. Now it works out okay for him. It creates a really weird situation, but kind of works out all right. He does it again in Genesis chapter 20. Same kind of scenario, same kind of lie. So that's Abraham's half-truth. Then, next generation, Abraham has a son whose name is Isaac. And he has learned well from his dad how to treat his wife, Rebekah. They also are on the run during a famine. And they get to a place, and Isaac says, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, Isaac said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. So same scenario, and Isaac has picked up a little habit from his dad, even a habit that his dad started before Isaac was ever born, that when he's in a sticky situation, he's just not gonna tell the truth. Abraham told a half lie, Isaac 
tells a full lie. Do you see the progression in the pattern here? Oh, it gets more interesting. So now you got Isaac. Isaac famously has two sons we know about, Esau and Jacob. These two are, are kind of a classic story of sibling rivalry. There's a point where the birthright that should go to the older one, Esau, Jacob kind of takes it from him. And then Jacob later wants the blessing of his father, a blessing that should go to Esau. But Jacob and his mom, they conspire against Esau while Esau is gone and Isaac's hungry. He prepares a meal that Isaac will like. Isaac at this time can barely see. And so they come up with this little plan. And in Genesis chapter 27, we read that Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau. That's a lie, isn't it? I mean, it's so clear in the first words there. Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And a few verses later, we read that Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands, he had, he had covered his, his arms and his hands with the, with the skin from the animal that he had killed to make dad some lunch. The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. That's one hairy Esau, is it not? <laughs> so he proceeded to bless him. Listen to, listen to Isaac. Are you really my son Esau, Isaac asked. He even gives the kid an out. I am, he lied, I mean replied. <laughs> wow, look at that, just cover that over. And uh, isn't this interesting? Abraham tells a half truth. Isaac tells a full lie. Jacob looks his dad in the face and tells him a bold-faced lie. And did you see what happens? The liar becomes the lied to. And there's this progression that's happening Generation, 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 and then it gets worse because Jacob has many children, 12 sons. That's where we get the idea of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's often called Israel as well, so he has these 12 sons. The 10 older ones did not like number 11, Joseph, and that's a whole other story that we won't get into. So they decide they're gonna get rid of this brother, dad's favorite. Dad loved him so much he gave him this really special ornamental robe, Joseph didn't have to work like the other brothers. So there was definitely bitterness, sibling rivalry that was there. So if you know the story, the 10 older brothers, including Judah, who we'll talk about, sell their brother into slavery in Egypt. But after they do that, they go, who's gonna tell dad? Genesis 37. Then they got Joseph's robe. The robe dad gave him, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. <laughs> Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. The half-truth became a full lie, which became a look you in the face and lie to you, which became such heinous, devious, harmful deception that it throws off the course of this whole family Jacob, the liar, never gets over the lie that's been told to him by his sons. Do you see the progression that happens here through the generations? This is something that we don't want to miss or ignore. 
that there is a pattern here. I'd never seen this laid out quite like this until I was reading a book called Lead Like a Shepherd by Larry Osborne. And Osborne uh, makes a conclusion here where he says, that's why leading by example is not optional. It's what we do, whether we realize it or not. The only question is, what kind of example are we setting? Because eventually, the student will become the teacher. Get this last line. And whatever we are is what we'll get. Whatever we are is what we'll get. What's the lesson from a flawed Abraham? That a lack of integrity today will bring loss in your future and create a legacy for your family. If you have a lack of integrity today, it will create a loss in your future and it creates a legacy for your family. What kind of legacy, Chad? A legacy of a lack of integrity that just snowballed in the life of this family. Look, some of you have been wrestling with, it's natural, it's human nature, it's encouraged in different parts of our world. Some of you have been wrestling with a lack of integrity, taking shortcuts, telling half-truths. Look, it'll catch up to you. And not only will it catch up to you, but it can be devastating to generations to come. And today is a bit of a wake-up call to say something needs to give in your life. And some of you are sitting there, you're watching this, and you're saying to yourself, I guess I'm doomed because my grandpa was this and my dad was that, which means I'm doomed and destined to be the same thing, even worse. And can I tell you, as much as there is a cycle that gets set up from generation to generation, Jesus came to break that cycle, did he not? He came to set us free. So you don't have to use the sins of the past in your family or even in your own life as an excuse for where you are today because Jesus came to bring us freedom. And if you're in a place where you go, yeah, but my family was like this, I think the Holy Spirit says to you, and today with you, your family changes. Like things are different because of what Christ can do in your life. And you say, it may have been like that on my, my ancestry.com, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. Now look, parents, we'll, we're actually gonna do a little bit of a deep dive into this next week as we kind of move into this next chunk in the genealogy. But parents, I just wanna encourage you, especially those of you that still have children living under your roof, the things you think they don't see, <laughs> they see. They know. They pick it up. And don't forget what you are is what you'll get. Remember this, that if you wanna be a friend of God, that God's friends are flawed people. Here's the second thing we see though, number two, that God's friends are faithful people. Number two, God's friends are faithful people. Uh, we won't read the whole book of Genesis today. Can I get an amen? But I'll give you a snapshot into Abraham's life. The book of Hebrews has this section, Hebrews chapter 11, where it tells story after story of faithful people. Abraham gets about 10 verses. We read this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. 
He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What is this celebrating? That when God said, Abraham, I want you to go, I'm gonna give you a land, you'll know it when you get there, I'll lead you, I want you to go, even though you don't know where you're going, Abraham was obedient. Abraham had what we would call obedient faith. A faith to say, God, if you're asking me to do something, then I'll do it. If you want to be a friend of God and a faithful person, faithful people obey God's guidance for their lives. That when God whispers, when God leads, when God directs, when we read God's word, faithful people obey God's guidance for their lives. Sometimes that's a bold move. I suppose the the thing that comes to my mind maybe the most in my own life It was back in 2010 when God whispered to quite a few of us in Calvary's leadership and said, you know that movie theater they're closing on Conant Street? That might be a good place for the church. And my initial response when that thought first hit my brain was, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. (laughs) Because we got a perfectly good building and it's paid for. Why, Why would we do this? Because God sent confirmation after confirmation And God gave whisper after whisper. And God led person after person. And the reality is that there's a whole lot of you sitting in these seats today who weren't sitting in the seats at Calvary 10 years ago. You might not have been sitting in the seats in any church or had any relationship with God at all. And what God has done in these last 10 plus years since Calvary was willing to take that step of faith has been nothing short of miraculous. Now look, some of you, like I said, you you might not know that whole story or that whole season, and I just wanna, I wanna affirm and encourage a group of people, like if you've been at Calvary since, since before 2010, a group of people who weren't afraid to say, God, if this is what you're calling us to do, then we'll be obedient and we'll take a step of faith. Like I'm honored to be a part of a church of people who say, God, we will trust you when you call us to move. And I look at my own life and I just say, God, help me never to lose an obedience that says, God, I will trust you and take a step of faith. Amen? Amen. Which, which it's interesting because this is a story that we just read about when God asked Abraham to do something. There's also a whole lot of stories where Abraham asks God to do something. This is the next part of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 11 says, and by faith even Sarah, that's Abraham's wife, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, that's Abraham, and so from this one man, and he as good as dead. Isn't that the nicest thing you could say? (laughs) He's 100 years old, but you didn't have to say he was as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. They waited and waited and waited for decades for a child. God blessed them. The right moment, in the right time, he was 100 years old. Any of you want a preschooler at 100? (laughs) Talk about a man of faith. And it's an interesting story because can you imagine day after day where Abraham had expectant faith? Abraham and Sarah, we read this, had expectant faith. We haven't seen it yet, but God promised. We don't see how it's gonna happen, 
God said he would. We don't know that we can figure this out. But God's word says this is who he is, that this is his character, that this is how he works, that this is how he's gonna respond. He's not just Abraham that finds himself in that place. You find yourself in that place. And faithful people expect that God will keep his promises even when you don't see it. Because some of you are holding out promises for people in your family. Or there's something you feel like God has put into your heart. You just haven't seen it yet. Or there's things that are unclear for you. And you're like, God, I know your word says you're a God who wants to bless me. I just haven't seen you do it yet. But that doesn't mean you're not going to. So God, I expect that you will answer that prayer. I expect that you will step in. I expect that I can trust you. Here's the risky part. Here's the tricky part about faith is sometimes we have to have that kind of faith even when there are other voices telling us that it'll never happen, true? (laughs) Now look, I'm not talking about doing goofy things. I'm not talking about being unwise. I'm not talking about stepping out into things that other people with godly counsel may encourage you to reconsider. What I'm telling you is there will be moments where God will whisper something to your heart or you'll see something in his word or you'll have something that's in your mind and you say, God, I am trusting you for that and I'm holding on to your promises. And be wise to trust him in those moments. Like if you, if you have an Apple device, an uh, iPhone, an iPad, a, a, a laptop or computer or whatever, Apple has a feature called AirDrop. Any, anybody ever heard of that? If you're not familiar with AirDrop, here's, here's how it works. Like if you have a, a picture or maybe you have a document that you want to send to somebody, you can just, you can just it just AirDrops. It just, just does that, Right? And it does that, even if you don't have the person's contacts, you don't know who they are, if they're within kind of your circle and you have it set to receive something from, from anybody, then you can just airdrop something to, to anybody. So do you understand the concept? Are you with me? Are we okay? So there was a flight just this last week that was going from Israel to Turkey. They had pulled away from the gate. They were getting ready for takeoff. And as they're about to go, On that plane, someone airdrops to 166 different devices on the plane, graphic images of plane crashes in the past. That's a cruel little trick, isn't it? Just just starts just dropping them. Well, they alert somebody right away. the, The authorities are like, this could be a terrorist attack. This could be something like that. And so they turn the plane around. The plane has to go back to the gate. Everybody has to get off. The flight's delayed for hours. It throws off the whole schedule. It interrupts everything at the airport. They eventually arrest nine people. Wasn't a terrorist thing. It was just a bunch of... Yeah, I can't say any of those words, but uh, um, you know what I mean. You fill in the blank, right? You fill in the blank on, thank you for your help, but I'm a pastor. And so, but you, you, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Now, here's the reality. There are these moments where there is something that's about to take off in your faith. There are these moments where God's leading you in a new direction. And all of a sudden, there are fears and there are doubts and there are words and there are images that begin to airdrop right into your spirit. Sometimes it comes from the enemy of our souls. Sometimes it comes from other people and the words that they say, the things that they do. Sometimes it just comes from, sometimes it comes from my head. Anybody else's? And in those moments, you're like, well, I shouldn't do this. I can't do this. This can't be true. This can't happen. This can't. And we start to check out of faith because of those things that get airdropped into our spirit. 
And can I encourage you that it's in those very moments that we have to recognize those are not coming from a source that is the source of my faith and my confidence and my trust. Those aren't coming from an awesome God. Those are coming from another place. And I need to continue to step out in expectant faith. Does that make sense? So one last quick Abraham story because this all kind of comes together. Did you notice this? God says to Abraham, there's something I want from you. And Abraham says to God, God, there's something I want from you. And both of those are moments, they're, they're legit. We all find ourselves in those places where by faith we are obedient, we're expectant. And then this happens, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. God said, Abraham, there's something I want from you. I, I, wanna, I want you to go to this land because I'm gonna bless you with it and then I'm gonna give it to your descendants through Isaac. And God said, Abraham, do that. And then Abraham said, God, there's something I want from you. I want a son and it's Isaac. And now what God asked for and what Abraham asked for is now on this altar, even though it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, sometimes what God asks you for is what we see here from Abraham, that Abraham had sacrificial faith, that Abraham was willing to follow God and put everything he had on the altar. Abraham had sacrificial faith. And that tells us that faithful people trust God with all that they have. The faithful people trust God with all that they have. Even in those moments where you go, God, I just don't get it. God, this is not how I saw it happening. God, I didn't think it'd go like this. This dream's dead. That plan didn't work out. God, you want me to do what? God, I... I don't know, how do I trust you in this moment? And part of being a faithful person is to say, God, I put this all, all of this in your hands. Now, Abraham's story is kind of cool because just before he sacrifices Isaac, God calls the whole thing off. If I was there, I'd have cheered. Anybody else? <laughs> so Abraham did not have to see his son die to be faithful. But can I tell you, that's not always the way it goes. Sometimes the sacrifice doesn't have to happen. It didn't for Abraham, but it did for God and his son, didn't it? It doesn't always make sense. God, I can't always see what you're doing here, but God, I trust you. Sometimes God will ask you for obedience, and sometimes you'll ask God in expectancy. Really, Chad, where's God asking me for obedience? Well, the truth is, somewhere I think God is always for all, is always for all of us, asking us to leave one thing and go to another. Not necessarily to leave our homes or leave where we live or leave where we work, but sometimes he's just asking you to leave that attitude or to leave that temptation alone or to leave those thoughts behind and to go to a place where you grow deeper in him. And some of you are expecting something from God. You might not think of it that way, but is there something where you're saying, God, I wish you'd bless me. 
God, there's a future I'm hoping for. And in those moments to step out in faith and say, God, I trust you with this. How did Abraham know he could even do that? Look, what have we seen so far? We've seen that God's friends are flawed people. We've seen that God's friends are faithful people. But here's the game changer right here. Number three, God's friends have a faithful God. Because at the end, this story isn't really about Abraham and how amazing his faith was. At the end of the day, this story is about an awesome God, is it not? And God is always faithful. I think sometimes we look back and we say, look at how God has been faithful. Almost like we're surprised. He is faithful. And we can trust him in every season. Abraham, what's wrong with you? How could you put your son the promise, the, the very heart of what God was asking you and what you were asking God for. How'd you put him on the altar? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. <laughs> God, I don't, I don't know how this makes sense, but I know that I can trust you because God, you're awesome. We talk so many times about Abraham's amazing faith. Here's the reality. Amazing faith is placed in an awesome God. And that's the reason we can trust him. How cool is it that Abraham was a friend of God? And I want to encourage you, I believe that you and I can be his friend too. Even though we're flawed, as we trust him, he can work in our lives. I have, I have a lot of people who, we use that word friend a lot of different ways, don't we? I have a lot of people who are friends. You know, oh yeah, they're my friend. Oh yeah, I know them. And we, you know, we've already talked about how sometimes people take the word friend in vain, right? But I have some people who are my friends. What, what's the difference? We've usually been through something together. Maybe we served together in some way. Or maybe we went on a trip together. The people who are my deepest friendships are the people that I've been through stuff with. Anybody? <laughs> like we walked through a hard time together. That when things were difficult, we were there. That when I was in a low moment, they stood with me and prayed with me. They said, no, it doesn't make sense to us either, but we're trusting God with you. And they didn't just say it and walk away. We walked through that season together. There's friends and then there's friends. And God wants you to know what kind he is. In Isaiah chapter 41, the people of God were, were facing an enemy invasion. It looked like it was curtains, that things were gonna be ended in a destructive way. And God says this, Isaiah chapter 41, verse eight, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Some of you, because of your flaws, you feel like that God is done with you, that God can't use you, that your, your life is over. You read the account of Abraham, you read anybody's story in the Bible, and how many times is it God's way of taking our mess ups and making that our message and miracles? He says, I've not rejected you, so do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. Like, like some of you need to just take that home with you today. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. 
He says, I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look at that right there. Because some of you are walking through a season of life, whether it's because of what you feel like God's asked of you, or maybe it's what you're asking God for. And you're just saying, God, I don't see how this is gonna work out. And God says to his friend like you, I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Can I tell you that God is here whether you're in this room or you're watching this or listening to this somewhere, God is with you and your friend will walk through this season with you if you put your faith in him. So can I invite you to stand with me for just a moment, if you will, please. And what we're gonna do is not sing a song about faith. And we're not gonna sing a song about miracles. <laughs> We're gonna sing a song about an awesome God. Is that okay? Because amazing faith is placed in an awesome God. And I'm gonna invite you, wherever you're listening to this message, or if you're an auditorium two, you're an auditorium one, I'm gonna invite you just to kind of make an extension of faith. And if you're comfortable, just to lift your hands as we sing this song and to place your faith in an awesome God. And I know it's not everybody, but I'm convinced that for some of us, this wasn't just an interesting look, I hope it was interesting, look into Abraham's life. Maybe, maybe I'm the liar, you know what I mean, right? But that this was a moment where you said, God, I need you to be my friend. Because I'm walking through something in my life right now, either in obedience or expectancy, that God, I need you to walk through this with me. And there's no better moment than right now to take a step of faith. So here's, here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. If, if you're watching this somewhere, then I'd encourage you, raise a hand, maybe kneel somewhere, maybe take the hand of somebody who's with you and pray in this way and say, God, I need you to be my friend in this season. But if you're in auditorium one and you say, God, I need you to be my friend and walk through this season with me right now, then I'm gonna invite you to step out of your seat and come and find a place to stand down here and we're gonna pray together in just a moment. If you're in auditorium too, you can do the very same thing. Just walk down to the front of the room there. We're gonna pray together here in just a moment. I know that's not for everybody, but for some of you, like Abraham, today's a day where you need to take a step of faith. It's a hugely important day for you to say, God, in this moment, in obedience and expectancy, I'm saying, God, I place my faith in you. This situation with our family, for some of you, husbands, wives, you need to grab a hand and walk down here and say, God, we put this situation in your hands. For some of you, today's the day to say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need to give this to you. That In this moment, as we sing this song about our awesome God, would we respond and say, God, we put our faith in you today. Father, thanks for your word. That reminds us that even when we're flawed people, our faith can be in you. And Lord, it's with obedience, it's with expectancy. For some of us, it's even with a, a sense of sacrifice that today we just say, God, we put our trust in you because you are an awesome God. Lord, in these moments, would you do something amazing in our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you need to ask him to be your friend and walk through this season with you, would you come and stand here at the front? We'll pray together in just a moment after we sing. You call the sun to rise and you lay it down to rest and you hold this heart of mine.
Abraham, and then you see it kind of all throughout the, especially the first part of the Old Testament, when people came to like a significant place in their journey, they got to a certain spot. There were times where they would stop and build an altar and they would say, God, this is a place where we remember what you've done. I, I want to take just a moment and whether you're standing here at the front or you're sitting in the seat or wherever you are right now, for some of you right now, you need to say, God, right now I'm building an altar. That God, right now in this moment, I'm, I'm declaring your faithfulness. That in spite of the flaws or failures in the past, I, I say in this moment, God, I put my trust in you. We put our trust in you. And that this moment, that this today is a moment where we stand, where we say, God, we believe in you. And God, we trust that you are the one who will walk us through this situation. It's a reminder that at this altar, I'm no longer defined by my flaws, but by who Jesus makes me. And that in this moment, I'm no longer held up by the things that others have, have dropped into my mind, the, the words that the enemy has said, but I put my faith in you and with expectancy believe that God, you will lead me and that you have blessing in store for me, for my family and for future generations. 
And that in this moment, our trust, we, we build this altar, we mark this spot and say, God, from this day forward, we believe that there's something new that you're doing. Lord, that there's people that are standing at an altar right now. There's people who are standing at their seat right now, that your spirit is speaking to them in this moment and declaring that by faith, something new is happening. Something fresh is happening. And you're bringing healing and you're bringing restoration. God, you're, you're changing things. Because today, we put our faith in our friend, the God who will walk through these seasons with us. And so, Lord, thanks for your word. Holy Spirit, thanks for your power at work in our lives. Lord, as we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let me encourage you with just a couple of things that if you get a chance to just encourage somebody, to pray with somebody, do that today. Those of you that are here, don't be afraid to stop and encourage one another. We've got a whole team of people that are over here to my right, your left, who would love to pray with you. If you're here today and you would just say, I'd love for somebody to pray with me, whether you're down here, you have something coming up this week, um, just stop and uh, let one of our friends pray with you. If you wanna know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They also have Bibles that you can easily read and understand that we'd love to share with you. Have a great week. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.